of you, uh, open your Bibles. You guys see Neva, tell her thank you for this fan. Uh, open your Bibles to Daniel 2. Um, I'm going to read verse 19. It says, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of the heavens and declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. All treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside of your hand. And in this fortunate turn of events, ask me to be your friend. Okay, God's word. So at this point, Daniel 2, in the story, uh, Daniel has undergone the destruction of God's city. Okay, violently. Horrifically, uh, he's endured a 900 mile march to Babylon um, and he's had a temptation to test his loyalty uh, to his God via uh, the food. And he's 15 years old. OK. 15 years old. And so chapter two, uh, Daniel's likely 17 or 18, brings us uh, his his next challenge where. Like all of uh, Daniel's previous challenges show and all of Daniel's future challenges are going to show, if the Lord doesn't save, Daniel will die. Okay? It's a very big deal. Daniel has no other recourse. Daniel has no other help except that Yahweh intervene. Right? If that doesn't happen, it's death. Uh, that's, like, that's just the story. So Daniel 2 verse 1. In the second year of his reign, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, the mediums, the sorcerers, and the, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So uh, Nebi has a bad dream, and he calls those who attend to him, those who have been eating the food that's been divinely blessed by Marduk, right? Like, this is what you're for. You're there, so when this happens, you guys can, can help me, um, and you need to tell me what my dream was. So uh, some background as to why Nebi might be having these sorts of dreams is at this point, he's got a massive military campaign. At the end of every year, he has to send his armies to the far reaches of uh, of the kingdom to get taxes from people. Okay, like this is um, what they're doing. And he, his, right now it's happening in Gaza, like a thousand miles away. So, you know, if you have big stuff going on, you sometimes don't sleep well. So he goes to bed thinking, man, how's this military campaign in, in uh, Gaza going? Like, did I send enough troops? Did we build enough um, or bring enough siege towers? You know, the, the same stuff we worry about at night. You know, <laughs> um, so, but so he has a bad dream, right? It's pretty, pretty normal. And the Babylonians really you know, placed a ton of emphasis on dreams being messages um, from the gods. So he's like, okay, I had this weird dream. I need to take it seriously. So verse 2, he gave orders to summon the magicians, medium sorcerers to tell him his dreams. So they come and they stand before the king. And he said to them, I've had a bad dream and I'm anxious to understand it. And then they spoke to the king, verse 4, and said, may the king live forever. Right? Buttering him up. Tell your servants the dream. Tell us what happened and we'll tell you the interpretation. Okay, tell us what it is and, and we'll consult the stars. And we have these uh, Akkadian dream manuals, which you can go look at in a museum today. The same manuals that they use, which is kind of cool. And then we'll tell you what it means. No sweat. We do this all the time. This is what we're paid for. Tell us the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like that answer. Okay, so verse five, the king replied to them, uh, my word is final and 
This is just unhinged. Like I know we just read it in our Bible, but it's unhinged. My word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and interpret the dream, you will be torn limb from limb. And your houses will be made a garbage dump. Oh, <laughs> we, we, we jumped uh, intensity a lot. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, reward, and great honor from me. So these guys, they hear this threat from Nebuchadnezzar and they know he doesn't, he doesn't um, mess around. right? You don't become the baddest dude on planet Earth uh, by, by being soft. Okay, So just an example, one of his early attacks um, on Jerusalem, 2 Kings 25... This is what they're doing. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. He's a, a citizen in, in Jerusalem. And then finally, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, blinded Zedekiah, bound him in bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. So this is the kind of stuff he does. And then chapter 3, if he's displeased with people, he just throws them in an oven. Because I'm the king of Babylon, and, and these are the sorts of things I do. He's, he's a bad man. And so when they, he threatens, I'm just going to tear all your limbs off if you don't do what I've asked you to do, they know he's, he's serious, okay? He he's, uh, has the um, history to back this up. So they plead with him again, verse 7, May the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will make known the interpretation. Like, hey, let's do, the, let's do it our way, because your way gets us killed. Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain you're trying to gain some time because you see that my word is final about ripping your limbs off. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you, which is what? Your limbs get ripped off. Okay, <laughs> You've conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can give me the interpretation. And so at this last response from Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan... Uh, witches and warlocks and whatever, they just give up. They, like, they're, they're done. One, uh, because Nebi's resolve is so strong, all right, that he's asking them to do something that no king has ever asked anyone else to do. They're just like, well, we're just giving up. So verse 10, they answered the king, look, no one on earth can make known what you're requesting. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this. So we're like, this is out of our league. It's out of anyone's league. No one's ever asked this sort of thing. You're crazy. And you can start doing this when you know you're going to die, right? You, it all, all comes out. And so they give up on that count. And then second, they give up because they just assume their gods are not going to help them. Like this is their assumption. So they're not even going to ask. Right? You would think to ask, right? Like, my, if my limbs are at stake here, I'm going to try. They just give up. Verse 11. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Right? Our gods aren't actually talking to us. We're not even going to ask them. Uh, and I was, I was reading this week. I could hear Elijah mocking them in the back. Right? Like, hey, where, where's your God at? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Right? Maybe he's gone on a trip. They just keep cutting yourselves and screaming and chanting and doing all the stuff. Maybe he, maybe he's hard of hearing. Right? Maybe he's not loud. I was reading this like, yeah, Elijah, this is the same, the same story. So they said, our gods don't actually dwell with us. So we're not even going to ask, here are my arms. Right? Take them off. Verse 12. 
Because of them giving up and not even trying, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and so they searched for Daniel and his friends, right, who become wise men in the king's court, chapter 1. Uh, they're looking for them to execute them. And I get Nebuchadnezzar's logic here, okay? You shouldn't tear off people's limbs, but you, you feel this, right? Right? Like... He hired these guys because they can talk to the gods. Yet now, when he needs them to talk to the gods, they can't. Okay? It's like if you're an owner of an NFL team and you draft a kicker to do one thing, to kick field goals, and then he doesn't kick, he doesn't make field goals. You kill him, right? Like <laughs> you have one job. This is the only like I'm not asking you to do anything else. You can eat all my food, do all my stuff, but you have to be able to tell me the dreams. Yeah, when it's time to do the one thing, they can't, they can't do it. So I get it. I'm, I'm sympathetic to Nebuchadnezzar here. And so this news reaches Daniel, limbs, garbage homes, all the stuff. So verse 14, Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, right? He's this model Jew who, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. Verse 15, he asked Arioch, why is the decree from the king so harsh? And so Arioch explained the situation to Daniel and said, hey, we have this big uh, military campaign going on. He had this terrible dream about it. His dream tellers, who were supposedly, you know, supposed to be able to talk to the gods, they're coming up empty and he has a hangnail, right? That, this is why he's just mad and furious about all the stuff. So verse 16, so Daniel went and he asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. And apparently Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. I'm not going to give them more time, but I'm going to give you some more time, Daniel. Um, and that might be due to chapter one reasons, like Daniel has proven himself faithful at this point. So what happens next, this is significant. Okay, so if all the stuff before was boring, lock in here. Verse 17. So Daniel went to his house and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed along with the rest of Babylon's wise men. So he is 17, 18 years old. Okay. Around your age, right? 17, 18 years old. He's in exile. He's just been served a death warrant. And the only way out of this is a genuine miracle. Okay. This is the situation that that's happening, right? Real time, real history, real people. This is going on. And Daniel doesn't freak out. He doesn't freak out. He's got this insurmountable life and death problem. And he just deals with it. He just deals with it. Okay? (laughs) Daniel, they're coming for our heads! He says, okay. Let me go talk to the king. You know what I mean? I don't know. This just stuck out to me this week. Like He's just handling the problem dealing with it we're going to go talk to the king and then we're going to pray it's the end of the world but he's not acting like it's the end of the world he's acting like an adult and i think this is instructive for all uh, followers of g and i think daniel is instruct the whole the whole book is instructive for all of us okay so just as a uh, kind of a, a banner over daniel i think daniel's um life and and how he works through things i think it is a manual for believers at the end of the age okay i think the things that daniel is giving uh, and 
All, all times, all places, but I really think that as the end of the age, the return of Jesus draws closer, we're going to need to know and have Daniel in our guts, uh, theologically, but too, just how to deal, how to act, how to live, right? And, and this gets picked up um, in, in the New Testament letters, Philippians 4, Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Do you ever read Philippians 4 and just get mad? Like, okay, no. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the fruit of this is verse 7. And, and you do that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, right? 17 years old, in exile, death warrant, should be freaking out. But he has the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So just an easy application. Little stuff, big stuff. People of God, members of Christian Life Church. We don't do the freak out thing. Okay? We just deal with stuff, we handle it, and we bring it to God, and, and we move on, and we pray. Okay, like, uh, I've talked to Allie and Stoney about this multiple times. How many things in, in the course of our life do we just not pray about? You know, like, just normal little stuff. Like, we just don't pray about. Like, big stuff, we'll bring that to the Lord in prayer, but all kinds of the other stuff that happens in life... I'll handle that, you know, I'll save the big guns for later. And the Lord's like, no, let's do, I'm the big guns for all the stuff. So let's all always pray. So this is what teenagers do. Got this death warrant, so this is what they do. Verse 17, he goes to his house, he tells his friends about the matter, and he urges them to ask the God of heaven for mercy. They have no other options, right? They're not going to sweet talk their way out of this. They're not going to pay their way out of this. Their only option is to petition the God of the heavens. And remember back to the pagan wise men, they didn't even get this far. They quit before this. They heard the death sentence. They knew their gods wouldn't hear them because they don't have a history of their gods hearing them. So they didn't even pray. They said what the king is asking is so difficult. Only the gods could do it and they're not dwelling with us. Okay? So we're not even going to try. But the Hebrew boys are different. They're different. They're, they're not like the pagans. The Hebrew boys respond to their situation with action. Why? Because their God does dwell with mortals. Okay? Their God does dwell with mortals. This is what the book of Leviticus is all about. I'm going to dwell with my people. This is what Exodus is all about. Moses and, and Aaron and Abihu and, and 70 other dudes go up on the mountain and they have dinner with the Lord. Right? He dwells with them. And at that dinner, they, they get blueprints for God's trailer house, right? The tabernacle. He's got to move. And then for his permanent house, right? The temple. They get blueprints for this. And he gives these to us to say, I want to dwell with you. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the, like the gods of the other nations who are far away, who have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and, and a mouth that can't speak and arms that can't reach. I'm not like them. I'm going to dwell with you and my presence will go with you as a cloud uh, by day and a fire by night. I, Yahweh's different. He dwells with mortals and the Hebrew boys know this. They, they are different. Okay. And, and so just spoiler alert, you know, for later in, in the story, he actually then takes on flesh to dwell with. Mortals, right? To be among the people. And then at the end of the story, he's like, I'm just going to bring the whole house down here. Okay? And we'll just live here forever, right? We like it here. It's a good place. So the Hebrew boys are primed by their history, by knowing their family's story. They're primed to talk to the Lord who does indeed. 
dwell with mortals. And so I would just encourage you as a believer in Jesus that our God does dwell with mortals. He it, it, it fills up the believer's very spirit, right? Paul would take this language from the temple and say, yeah, and the spirit dwells in you too. And you could talk to him about these things. This, right? Okay. That excites me. Okay. So they've got this history that God actually not just does dwell with mortals, but wants to. Right? I want, I want to be near you. I want to be with you. And then they also have this rich history in their family story of their God responding in prayer to those who are in a bind. All right, you're in a couple jams. Yahweh's your guy. All right. So First Samuel 21. You don't have to. Uh, don't turn there. It's it's a King David story. He's on the run from Saul. Okay. So David's an Israelite on the run from Israel's king. Because reasons, you know. <laughs> and he runs into the house of uh, the Philistines. So it's out of the frying pan into the fire. Things are looking very bad um, for David. And he's afraid because he thinks that they recognize him. Okay, so if you know David and the Philistines also have a history. He killed their big guy. Okay. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I hope they don't recognize me from when I killed, killed Goliath. Like a spy movie, like they show up. I hope they don't know I'm wearing a mask. They can see who I am. And David's best idea, the best he can come up with, the king of Israel, or the, the, you know, soon to be king of Israel, who pens most of our Psalms, all this stuff. The best idea he can come up with is I'm going to act like an idiot. Right? He pretends to act uh, insane and, and prays a lot. And here's the crazy part of, of David acting insane, is it worked. He shows up in the king of Gath's uh, living room and goes, and, and it works. Like he actually gets rescued. And so he pens this psalm later, Psalm 34, is about, hey, remember when my life was in danger in the Philistine house and I pretended to be crazy? I'm going to write a song about it. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. So the Hebrew boys, they, they know for Samuel. They, they know the Psalms inside and out and they, they just follow suit. Okay, so this is the pattern. Prayer at all times. Yes, right. You've met that Christian, right? We need to pray about this. Well, I pray without ceasing. Shut up. No, you don't. You know, you should, but it's not happening. Okay, don't lie. Pray at all times, yes. But the model here and, and later in the fiery furnace and with the lions and even interpreting the dreams later, prayer definitely for the big stuff, right? When stuff hits the fan, the people of God turn to the Lord and we have a history of him answering, Okay. Unlike the gods of the nations, our, our God actually answers. We, we pray when our only hope is, is God, which is uh, kind of the point that we'll see later. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians, Paul uh, picks this up. So, you know, Paul can say, imitate me as I imitate the Lord, right? Kind of this model um, for us. Second Corinthians 1, verse 8, Paul writes this. And just have the have the uh, the Hebrew boys with the death sentence over their head in mind as we read Paul here. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we despaired of life itself. Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, right? Okay, 
Verse 9, indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. And so why, why does God allow us into these situations? Uh, why, did, why did God allow David to be brought into the house of the Philistines? Why, why did God allow the Hebrew boys to be brought to the end of, of their rope? Why is, why is God allowing Israel to be in the, whole, the situation that their nation is in at this point? Why has God allowed you to be brought to the end of your rope? Okay, why? Verse 9. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And no one likes to live that, right? It might preach well. No one actually wants to be at that point where our only hope, our only recourse is to trust in God who raises the dead. Verse 10. He has delivered us from such a terrible death. Paul's history. And he will deliver us. Paul's future. We've put our hope in him that he will deliver us. Again, which is like verbatim uh, fiery furnace, right? Like our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, okay, we put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. And then he finishes verse 11 this way. While you, the, the congregation, while you join in helping us by your. So we've got a guy with a life and death situation and you join in helping, helping us how? By your prayers. Verse 11. Verse 11, my man. Maybe it's not up there. Anyway, he says, you guys, prayer. <laughs> Help us out here. So this is this is what we do. Okay, no matter the situation. Again, a death warrant for not interpreting a dream. Probably not happening to you. Okay. No matter the situation, though, we do not trust in ourselves, but in God. And this trust is expressed through prayer. Okay. Uh, prayers acknowledged helplessness. If I could do it, I would, there would be no need to pray. Prayer is saying, actually, I, I cannot. There's no way I'm getting out of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wrath here. So, how are we doing here? Like I, I could do uh, many, many examples of uh, prayer being my last resort rather than my first thing. And the reason that we do that is because we depend on uh, ourselves or our resources rather than, verse 10, the God who raises the dead. So just practical advice here. If you have a choice between you, the God who raises the dead, go with this guy. Right? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. So let's double down on, on trusting in God rather than ourselves. So they pray. And, and what happens? Verse 19 the mystery was revealed. They asked for an answer to this mystery, and the mystery was revealed uh, to Daniel in a vision at night. And what did Daniel do? This, they, they pray, they get the answer, and what happened? Daniel praised the God of the heavens. And again, this is the model, right? We don't just pray, and we don't just ask. Afterwards, we, we give thanks, right? We, we, we're not like um, Luke 17, the lepers, right? Uh, Jesus, ten lepers come to Jesus. He heals them all. Verse 17, Jesus says, and, and, and only, only one comes back to, to thank God. Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? So again, how are we doing here? How many things have we asked the Lord for? The Lord has come through and, and supplied our needs, whatever that might be. And then we, we're, we're like the other nine lepers. Okay? 
You have lots of uh, better, more awesome, more wonderful examples. But man, the building we're in today, like there's a lot of a lot of prayer and, uh, and yeah. So there needs to be a lot of things. Thank you, Lord, for like seriously. Like I I I um I drive by this thing and, and when I come here, and I'm still just like, man, how did that happen? You know, like I never thought it would, honestly. <laughs> But it did. God did it. And um, our response is to give thanks that God answered the thing we asked him for. And you can fill in the blank there. For, for Daniel, it's that my limbs aren't getting torn off because you gave me the interpretation to this dream. So Daniel prays. He asks that the mysteries revealed to him. And, and he gives thanks. And here's what his thanks sounded, sounded like. Verse uh, twenty. 220, may the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. So, not to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Not not to Marduk, not to Apu, not to, you know, fill in the blank. Only Yahweh gets, gets praise forever and ever from Daniel. Further, in worshiping Yahweh, uh, in this way, Daniel's proving um, Proverbs 1-7, right? The fear of the Lord it's the beginning of wisdom. Daniel fears God, worships God, puts his trust in God, and God gives wisdom to Daniel. Daniel fears God, and God gives him wisdom. Verse uh, 21, he, Yahweh, God changes the times and the seasons. God removes kings, and God establishes kings. So not to spoil what's coming, but Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a vision about kings and kingdoms being raised up and brought down. And then at a, at a time... And a season that God has chosen, one king and one kingdom will rule and will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And Daniel has seen this, right? And so he's saying, yes, you determine times and seasons. You set up kings and tear down kings. And so uh, when Jesus shows up after his resurrection, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. The disciples ask him, Acts 1, 6 and 7. They say, Lord, will you at this time... What does Daniel pray? You set the times and the seasons. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know what? The times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the day of the Lord, the kingdom of God, that is totally God's job. And it will come at his timing. And he's proven himself over and over and over again that we can trust in his timing. Okay, the day of the Lord will come. The kingdom of God will arrive at his timing. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom. Not Marduk, not Apu, not not whatever other God in their pantheon. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22, we sang this morning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and light dwells with him, unlike the gods of the nations. So Isaiah is prophesying about this same time that the exile's happening. And this is Isaiah's uh, thing that he just keeps hitting the foreign gods with. Okay, if you guys are, are sovereign over all things, why don't you tell me the future? Why don't you guys go run off to your other you know, gods that you're going after and have them tell you what will come to pass? And, and they can't do it over and over and over. Isaiah is just mocking them. And then Isaiah says from the word of the Lord, Isaiah 46, 10, he says, I, speaking for the Lord, I declare the end from the beginning. From long ago, what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. And 
just for all your Bible reading and all your Bible hearing, this is the same God you pray to, too, right? Dan, Dan, it's not like Daniel has a different version of the Lord than you have, right? This is the same. Okay, he's the same God doing the same thing. Verse 23, Daniel keeps going. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors. This is really cool if you can... Follow me if I can communicate. It's really cool. God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and powers. So this phrase that Daniel prays, God of my ancestors, comes from uh, the burning bush episode where Yahweh reveals himself to Moses. Did you guys do your homework and watch Prince of Egypt? (laughs) Belda? The burning burning bush scene in Prince of Egypt is the, the greatest animated, maybe not animated scene of all time. There's never been a better, so if you can just watch that three-minute clip there. Moses. Anyway, so this anyway, that's where the phrase comes from. So Exodus 3, burning bush. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And James Earl Jones replied to Moses... <laughs> I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I got John Spoon in my ear right there. Right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. What's his name forever? God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of the covenants. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So I just wanted to put this here to sit like Daniel's praying to Israel's God. You're when you, when you turn to follow Jesus, you're turning to follow Israel's king. Okay, you pray to Israel's God, not like generic man upstairs. I know what people mean by it. it's it's fine, but it. You're actually like it's it's a different God. This is Israel's God who we pray to. And Daniel's praying according to these covenants, according to these people. And he's praying according to Israel's story. And this is a whole nother whole nother thing that, that we'll do some other time. But this should drive our prayers as well. Okay, if you can take the covenants, if you can take what God has said about history, where it's going, what God's doing and work, your, your prayers will change too. And you'll, and that, anyway, that's, I just wanted to point it out. He's praying to his, his God, not generic who, whatever. This is the God of Israel, the God of the ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he finishes, and now you've let me know what we asked of you, for you've let us know the king's mystery. So Daniel's in trouble. Daniel prayed, God answered, now, following the model, he testifies. So again, same thing. If you ask the Lord for something, and he gives you what you need, you know, Daniel's story, life and death, and you thank the Lord, your next response is to tell somebody, right? Like this is where Derek would be like, wish I had a black church. We're going to testify, right? This is the deal. So Daniel testifies here. Verse 24. He came and said to Arioch, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Which, no. Bring me before the king and I will give him the interpretation. Daniel answered the king. No wise man, medium or magician or diviner is able to make known 
uh, to the king the mystery he asks about. So he says, your crew who eats Marduk's food. This is why chapter one is important, right? They're getting all their wisdom from the food. Your crew who's eating that food, they couldn't do it. Verse 28. And I've never felt more like a preacher in my life than what I'm about to read. But there is a God in heaven (laughs) who reveals mysteries. They couldn't do it. But there is a God in heaven who can. And he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Verse 29. Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came into your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because I have more wisdom than anyone living. Okay? But in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king. And that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. So like Joseph with Pharaoh's dreams, Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and makes clear, look, only Yahweh can do what you asked. And he has. He says Yahweh is the revealer of mysteries. Yahweh is the one who gives wisdom. Yahweh is the one who responds to prayer. And Yahweh is the one who sets the times and seasons and who raises up kings and tears them down. Okay? This is the message. So Robert, if if you'll come help us, I will be quiet. So to close today, just to to finish this section, the question that Nebuchadnezzar needs to deal with, okay, and the question that everyone in this room needs to deal with, is if this is who Israel's God is, revealer of mysteries, giver of wisdom, setting times and seasons, raising up kings, setting down kings, if this is who he is, the question Nebuchadnezzar has to deal with and the question you have to deal with is will you submit to him or not? Like, that's, that's the point of Daniel 2 here, is like, here's who God is, Nebuchadnezzar. What are you going to do, okay? Yahweh tells the end from the beginning. History is going his way, okay? History is going his way, and it's leading to the day when his patience with the wicked runs out, and he installs his son as king on Mount Zion to rule the nations. This is Psalm 2, for those who are wise... For those who serve him with fear, who rejoice with trembling, who honor the son, who take refuge in him, they will not perish when his wrath is kindled, but they will inherit eternal life. Same God. So Nebuchadnezzar, here's the dream. He did it. No one else can do it. He sets times and seasons. He raises them up. He sets them down. Will you submit to him? And it's our our, uh, question to you too. So if you're here and you're, you're not submitted to Israel's God, you, you haven't put your trust in, in the, the cross of his Messiah, the death of his Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins. You haven't put your trust in, in the resurrection of his Messiah as a guarantee for your resurrection and your eternal life. You haven't done that. Today's the day, okay? Today's the day to submit to God, to give your life wholeheartedly to following him, not kind of, wholeheartedly following him even unto death and you will inherit eternal life. This is who Daniel prayed to. This is who answered Daniel. This is who you can pray to. And this is who will answer you too. And so if you have questions um, about that and you're sitting next to a member of Christian Life Church, they can tell you. They are primed and equipped to tell you about the cross and about the resurrection and about turning your heart to those things. Okay? If you don't want to talk to them, you can talk to me or any of our other elders. We'd love to talk with you about that. But don't leave here today not bowing the knee. Um, to the God of Israel. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we just count 
an incredible privilege that we worship the same God Daniel did. Same God Daniel does. That you are not far off like the gods of the nations. But you do indeed dwell with mortals. You want to. It's your heart. We long for that day when uh, the cry goes out. Behold, the dwelling place of God has become the dwelling place of man. They will be my people. I will be their God forever and ever. So God, for our our members today, uh, specifically, I I just ask that there would be a, a... a knee-jerk reaction to prayer at all times. Um, that we don't trust in ourselves. That we don't rely on our own resources or, or whatever. But we, we, especially in events where we're brought to the end of our rope, we put our trust in God who raises the dead. And God, I ask you for wisdom for our congregation. I ask you for the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. God, I ask, um, even as we get further into Daniel, God, that you would give us dreams and you would give us interpretations of those dreams. And the fruit of that would be encouragement to stay on the path and finish the race. And God, I ask you for uh, anyone in here today who's not turned their heart to you, who's not submitted, who's not bowed the knee um, to you. That you would send the spirit to them. You would quicken their heart, God, to to turn. God, to make this stuff real, not a fairy tale, not not stories, not not stuff white people in little towns like Tonkawa believe because it's what they've always done, but make it real to us. You are the giver of wisdom. You set the times and seasons. You raise up kings. You set them down. We put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.